This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. Is there a Christian side in the developing world crisis? Welcome to the Return to Order Moment. China, Korea, Russia, Iran, Israel, Ukraine. These are more than just names of countries. Each one represents a significant threat to the world order that took shape after World War II. That order survived the Cold War, armed conflicts in Korea and Vietnam, and 70 years of conflict in the Middle East, among other challenges. On February 24, 2022, Russia invaded Ukraine. On October 7, 2023, Hamas invaded Israel. What will happen in 2024? Will China invade Taiwan? Will Iran finally obtain nuclear weapons? Will the United States and its European allies find themselves involved in a four-part international conflict? In such circumstances, the instinct of American voters has been to try to bury their heads in the sand. It happened in both world wars, until the U.S. was forced to step up and fight. Many American so-called foreign policy experts talked about a peace dividend throughout the 90s until a couple of planes hit the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001. Unfortunately, the same spirit is becoming increasingly popular across the land. Many Christians are taking part in it under the misconception that believing in a poorly defined and elusive peace can make it happen. They find their hopes in the tired phrase, give peace a chance, that they inherited from the 60s. Others speak with an authority that they do not possess about American strategic interests. They insist that the U.S. has no business being involved in the conflicts in Eastern Europe, the Mideast, or Asia. Then there is the curious convergence of nationalists and radicals. These are the ones who say that Western civilization is disintegrating under the weight of racism, colonialism, and too much wealth in too few hands. They look upon this society as the dying embers of a once powerful culture. Mr. John Horvat discussed this attitude in his important essay, Why Are We Defending a Decadent West? A clash of monumental proportions seems likely as the post-war liberal order breaks down. This could happen if the present flashpoints in Ukraine, Israel, North Korea, and Taiwan expand and involve the major powers and their spheres of influence. Thus, many analysts rightly frame America's involvement in today's conflict as a defense of the West. The stakes are indeed high, since any outbreak threatens not only individual nations, but the present state of the entire world. However, Certain currents do not see the battle this way. They question the purpose of defending the West in its present state of decadence. They might even sympathize with Iran's ayatollahs and other adversaries of the West who see America as the great Satan responsible for the world's evils. Indeed, Western nations seem to have done much to corrupt the world with their globalized networks, immoral fashions, and decadent cultures. A Davos-driven establishment promotes the woke and ecological agendas everywhere. Other anti-Western powers, like Russia and China, claim to represent cultures that oppose these alarming trends. Thus, some wrongly affirm that one must not defend the West because of this decadence. 
They think it better to retreat into isolationism and let the globalized system with its corrupt elites fall apart. Such an attitude is wrong. It does not consider three main points that put this great struggle in perspective. The first point is that a universal worldwide crisis afflicts the whole world. Neither East nor West is exempt from its dominance. It attacks, in varying degrees, all states, cultures, and systems. Brazilian thinker and man of action Professor Plinio Correa de Oliveira called this crisis the Revolution, a historical process that began with the Protestant Revolution and advanced with the French and Communist Revolutions. Today, it manifests itself in the Cultural Revolution. Its goal is to extinguish all traces of Christianity. This moral crisis deep inside the soul of modern man is driven by movements of pride and sensuality. It is a revolt against God that affects everyone. Today's globalized networks facilitate its spread worldwide, leaving no one untouched. To contend that some regions like Russia, China, or Iran are exempt from its influence is an illusion. Indeed, the moral scourge of procured abortion, pornography, and promiscuity are found in these places and everywhere. Irreligion, egalitarianism, and nihilism are likewise rampant on both sides of these conflicts. Thus, this fight must be seen in the context in which both sides are infected with the same germ of this revolution, although manifested differently. Second, this revolution cannot be equated with the West. Rather, the revolution's main target is Western Christian civilization. It embeds itself inside the Western structures that dominate the world. Like a cancerous tumor, its ideological germs contaminate and metastasize all over the world. Thus, the real crisis is much more inside these Western structures than a clash of East and West. What the world is witnessing is the destruction caused by 19th century philosophies like socialism, liberalism, and Hegelianism that have deteriorated the souls of all nations, East and West. Nihilism and woke ideas are targeting and destroying Western narratives, notions of identity, and social structures wherever they are found. This same revolution also incites other cultures to attack the West. They are urged not to destroy the revolution, which would be a very good thing, but the Christian civilization the West once so vibrantly represented. If the world is to return to order, everyone must attack the common enemy, which is this moral revolution. To do this, the real fight is to identify and oppose the most radical manifestations of the revolution that carry forth its destructive processes. That is why America must defend the West, or better, what remains of it. As long as the West as an ideal exists, it threatens this revolution. The West as an ideal represents that family of nations, especially in Europe, that were influenced by Christian morals and beliefs. The point of dynamic unity of the West was Christendom under the guidance of the Catholic Church. These nations coalesced around the person of our Lord Jesus Christ and, with his gospel, transformed the world.
The same West generated Christian institutions, philosophies, arts, culture, and ways of being that still survive embedded in daily life. The present state of the revolution seeks to destroy these things. These social structures are much more the target of Russian, Chinese, and Iranian hostility than the rightly condemned moral decadence, which also finds great opposition from activists in the West. For this reason, the Western nations are in better conditions to fight the revolution with their remnants of Christian civilization than the anti-Western countries that would suppress all these remnants together with the West. Moreover, the West still finds souls willing to fight for these ideals, oppose the revolution, and implore the help of God's grace. The alliance of Chinese communism, Iran's political Islam, and Russia's mystical fourth political theory governing philosophy represents an advance in the revolutionary process. Its dark triumph would seriously jeopardize a counter-revolutionary response. That is why America must defend this vague Christian ideal of the West, even in its present state of decay. The West remains the platform upon which a resistance, with the help of God's grace, can still be awakened and nourished. As long as some glowing embers of Christian civilization exist, a counter-revolution can nurse them back into a raging fire, depriving the revolution of all conditions to prevail, and thus securing a return to order. Some of the defeatism in American culture today is founded upon fear, specifically the fear of China. Too many Americans look beyond the Pacific and see an economic and military powerhouse. A determined China, they say, can easily defeat a decadent West. China, the fearful assert, have the population, the money, the military, and the will to become the next dominant nation of the world. However, a more rational look at China reveals that much of their so-called power is just bluster. The communist propaganda machine wants to scare America into a petrified inaction. That way, they can take over without firing a shot. The reality is very different. Mr. Gary Isbell takes a long look at that reality in his essay, China's Military Shakeup Reveals Weakness in Combat Readiness. Chinese leader Xi Jinping's purge of those not fully aligned with his ever-evolving party line has led to unexplained and sudden changes in senior military personnel including the removal of the defense minister and the expulsion of nine high-ranking People's Liberation Army officers, PLA, from the national legislature, as well as dropping three top defense industry executives from their government advisory roles. Among those thus removed are two generals who previously commanded China's strategic missile force, a former Air Force chief, and an admiral who led naval forces in the South China Sea, where China is increasingly at odds with the United States and other nations in this contentious region. Beijing has not disclosed its reasons for their removal nor released information on any investigations into their conduct. Analysts who study China's military, however, believe that it is likely that the ongoing shakeup is part of Xi's effort to combat corruption related to arms procurement and to stem potential disloyalty within the PLA and state-owned enterprises associated with defense production. 
Xi faces a virtually insurmountable problem in rooting out corruption. Communism exhibits systemic inadequacies and fosters a culture of impunity in which corruption can flourish, often unchecked. These inherent failures of socialism are intensified by a lack of personal accountability, a fruit of an atheistic society. The negative public perception of informants used by the state to enforce communism hinders the support for whistleblowers, which is more common in the free world. Thus, instances of corruption are seldom reported to officials with the authority to prosecute them. Lyle Morris, a senior fellow at the Asia Society Policy Institute, specializing in China's security affairs, has noted that China's Military Arms Development and Procurement Agency has long been considered a breeding ground for corruption. However, until recently, few senior officials involved in such work were targeted in Xi's anti-corruption campaign. The present purge reflects Xi's secure power base within the PLA, enabling him to undertake such a massive campaign without the fear of backlash. At the same time, however, it evidences the inherent weakness of a dictator who must impose his will without regard for the law. While the impact of such radical restructuring on the PLA's operational readiness remains unclear, analysts suggest that the corruption probes could lead to increased scrutiny of personnel appointments and the procurement process, which will likely slow Xi's efforts to modernize the military. Beijing claims initial success in upgrading the PLA through complex drills, including combined aerial and naval maneuvers. While acknowledging shortcomings requiring attention, the overall combat capabilities of the PLA are unlikely to have been compromised significantly in the short run. By addressing arms procurement and the strategic missile force, Xi hopes to ensure long-term military effectiveness. Chinese High Command has taken note of the abysmal performance of Russian weapons systems in this Ukraine conflict, much of which is attributed to systemic corruption. The PLA could force greater attention on party loyalty within its ranks and increase political education for military personnel. Indeed, under Xi, the party has intensified ideological indoctrination, indicating that Xi's purge may not be as much about private gains at the state's expense as it is to adherence to the party line. Such focus may come at the expense of operational training and combat readiness. Experts on Chinese policy argue that Xi has used continual purges to consolidate his authority and enforce commitment to his policies. This reliance on coercion underscores a significant weakness of communism. As hardly anyone believes in communist doctrine, compliance must be motivated by fear rather than commitment to noble ideals to combat corruption. Since assuming power in late 2012, Xi has employed corruption probes to control the military establishment and implement an ambitious modernization program to transform the Chinese military from a Soviet-style force into a modern 21st-century military. In the initial years of Xi's regime, several senior generals were purged to pave the way for officers considered more professional and doctrinally reliable. 
While they retain their military and party ranks, they are expected to be removed entirely from leadership positions. Military analysts also believe that investigations will likely be launched at lower levels and other departments. Nonetheless, the PLA has maintained a high operational pace. Aerial sorties and naval drills have been conducted along China's borders and beyond. In recent months, a Chinese aircraft carrier task group conducted combat training in the Pacific Ocean, and PLA forces took part in joint exercises with foreign counterparts. The PLA's Southern Theater Command recently announced the dispatch of naval and air forces on routine patrols in the South China Sea. China continues to harass countries with the deployment of balloons that have been flown over the United States and Taiwan as part of Beijing's gray zone tactics to intimidate without the direct use of force. It is unlikely that Beijing will challenge Washington's status as the dominant world military power or unilaterally alter the status quo in the Taiwan Strait in the foreseeable future. James Char, a research fellow at Nanyang Technical University in Singapore, believes that the PLA will likely continue to engage in military operations that remain below the threshold of war, using harassment and intimidation to test the mettle of the West. Xi recognizes that China's military is suffering from an outdated Soviet-style structure similar to Russia's, which has been incapable of conquering a border country a quarter of its size. This is not the performance one would anticipate from a world military power. While Xi's dream of creating a first world military remains to be realized, it would be foolhardy to continue to sleep as communist China advances in its quest to vanquish the remnants of Christian civilization in the West. There are similar disputes throughout the United States on the status of the war in Ukraine. The consensus that we need to help the Ukrainians throw off Russia's attempt to conquer them has splintered. The Russians have been defeated in their military objectives, but Vladimir Putin's propaganda agents have won many American hearts. In reality, the Ukraine conflict is very important to the United States. Mr. John Horvat explained the reasons in his essay, Three reasons to support the war in Ukraine you might not have considered. As the war in Ukraine rages on, the West is experiencing fatigue from the slow pace of the fight. People in the West insist upon breakthroughs with shifting battle lines. They want Hollywood theatrics that can dominate the headlines with dramatic scenes of victory. And if these things cannot be produced on a regular basis, they deem the war lost or in a stalemate. Because it represents difficulty, many want the easy way out. This way consists of ignoring the problem in the hopes that it will disappear. It calls for taking away Ukraine's funding, saying it will make little difference in the grand scheme of things. Others label the conflict as a regional quarrel that America would best sit out since no national interests are at stake. Thus, people misjudge the war based on desired impressions and deliberate fog. If America follows this path, it will pave the way for political disaster. 
The Ukrainian battle makes more sense if three points are resolved. The resulting big picture puts the West in a position to fight back more effectively. Considering these points will make it clear that aid is urgently needed. The first point is a clear definition of what is at stake. This is not a battle for a far-off land of little strategic value, but a civilizational standoff, pitting the West against enemies that threaten the present world order, decadent though it may be. United against the West is an alliance of a mysterious Russian orthodoxy, a brutal Chinese communism, and a radical Iranian Islamism, who are actively using the Ukrainian issue to form a block of contrary nations, an enigmatic multipolar world independent of the West. This alliance makes no secret that it wants to displace, if not destroy, the United States and its role in the world. It is also openly anti-Catholic. In this sense, the Ukrainian conflict is part of a proxy war that can determine the course of the future. If the West loses, it will jeopardize the post-war rule of law and prepare the ground for new and more difficult wars, especially involving NATO allies. Thus, it is in America's interest to support the sovereignty of Ukraine, brutally violated by the 2022 invasion and the earlier 2014 war. At stake is the future of the West and all sovereignty. America and other nations are at risk because if Ukraine is lost, then the conflict could escalate to other areas they are bound by treaty to defend. The second point needed to understand the war is determining the metrics to measure its success. Not all can be reduced to territorial gain. The stationary battle lines easily deceive. The ultimate goal must always be the return of all occupied territories from Russia. However, the metric of success is not only reconquering Ukrainian territory, but also stopping the ambitions of this new anti-Western alliance. As Russia seeks to form its new Eurasian multipolar world order, then Ukraine is proving an unexpected and highly effective obstacle to this anti-Western end. Its armed forces have inflicted massive casualties upon the enemy, decimated military assets, and exposed major shortcomings. A recently declassified intelligence assessment shared with Congress reports that 87% of the 360,000 man force sent into Ukraine were either killed or wounded, with an estimated loss of 315,000 troops. Some 2,200 tanks out of Russia's 3,500 pre-war stock were destroyed in battle. In addition, the Russian armed forces suffered the loss of 4,400 of 13,600 infantry fighting vehicles, as well as major naval assets. This potential NATO enemy suffered all these calamities without the loss of a single American or NATO soldier. Many analysts believe that Ukraine has bought time for long-neglected European militaries to rearm. 
The intelligence report estimates that the brave Ukrainian resistance has set back Russia's military for at least three or four years. The West owes it to Ukraine to support this battle that benefits all and which was bought at such a price of great suffering. The third consideration is that Ukraine can win this war if proper strategies are employed. It is easy to blame the Republicans for abandoning Ukraine by withholding funds for the war. However, Garry Kasparov of the Russian Action Committee claims that victory does not seem to be an option for the Biden administration. He observes that present arms shipments provide the minimum for maintaining the status quo. More powerful armaments could have a significant effect on the outcome. For example, two vital arteries for the occupation are the Militopol Railway and the Crimean Land Bridge. Properly enabled ATACMs could destroy these lifelines and starve the Russian army of supplies. However, these weapons are withheld from the Ukrainians. Mr. Kasparov believes the Biden administration seems more intent on arriving at some deal than maintaining the integrity of pre-war borders. President Biden's incompetent abandonment of Afghanistan encouraged the present conflict. Some analysts have suspicions that an agreement with the Russians is in the works that would only make matters much, much worse. Thus, the West has everything to gain by its continued support of Ukraine tied to a winning strategy. It has everything to lose if it fails to oppose this new alliance that seeks to turn everyone against the West. Indeed, if Ukraine is forced into accepting a Russian victory, the result will not be peace in our time, but a Chamberlain-like war of shame. This concludes, Is There a Christian Side in the Developing World Crisis? Thank you for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. We publish a new episode every week as Tuesday becomes Wednesday at midnight. You can hear our program in two ways. The first is to subscribe to your favorite podcast provider. Another is to go to our website, www.returntoorder.org, and click on the podcast link at the top of the page, which will take you to a list with the most recent podcast on top. Listeners can help Return to Order be more effective by giving us a five-star rating with their favorite podcast service. Subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will find the Return to Order moment online. We would also like to recommend Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order. It is available as a free download on our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2024 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property. TFP.